Okay, just going to continue to share uh, in, in the type of Exodus, the 12th chapter. We shared on some of these things, and they, they were kind of brief. Uh, they were to the point. They were still loaded because that's what God's Word is. And, uh, but again, as we read that in Exodus, the 12th chapter, we read Exodus 12, and this is what has been reported to us by the Holy Spirit through Paul as his church. So we are in a heavenly position. We're still on the earth. We haven't gone to meet him face to face yet. But we're on this earth, just like the Jews were when they were delivered from Egypt, they were in the wilderness. We're, we're in the wilderness, but we are still a heavenly people. They were an earthly people. They were on their way to their promised land. And by the way, we, God, we shared in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, it was a journey that should have taken them 11 days. It took them 39 and a half years. <laughs> because just like us, as we learn to grow in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, the Jews were very slow to learn what was their portion in God. Just like we can be very slow. And what slows us down is the submission of our will. It's, for, for any of us, it would be the lack of humility just to be in the place to receive what is already ours in Christ that would glorify him and that would bless us abundantly. And so... Ours is a heavenly position. We're on our way to our meeting Christ in the air. We will see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 to 18. We will be raptured, as much as that's being attacked today, <laughs> we will be raptured and meet him in the clouds of the air. And it speaks of our heavenly position. The Jews were on their way to their promised land. That, of course, won't be fulfilled until Revelations chapters 19 and 20, when Christ will actually come and rule and reign on the earth for the Jews. That's the millennial reign. It's Chileism. It's the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, where he actually rules and reigns again on a throne in Jerusalem with all those sacrifices reinstituted, yet he's sitting there, <laughs> and they're looking at him and seeing the fulfillment of what he's accomplished. Now, all those things we have and we can look back to now. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And this is why Paul, through the Holy Spirit, obviously the Holy Spirit through Paul, it would say this. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And this is the thing that we're slow to learn. You see, because we said recently it took one night the Jews were in bondage for 430 years. They could not leave that place of bondage till he rose up a deliverer, Moses, a type of Christ in the work that God would accomplish through him. But in one night, what they could never do, God did in one night. He took them out. But then it took him a lifetime. It took, he, in one night, he took Israel out of Egypt. It took him a lifetime to take Egypt, the world, and Satan ruling over them. And it took him a lifetime to take that out of them. This is why he said 
And this is why the Holy Spirit speaks to us, again, through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. The old leaven is not who you are. Leaven had to do with sin. First, it spoke of a nature. Purge out the old leaven. Here, it's purge out the old. It's not who you are. Romans 7, 17 and 20. Again, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, It is no more I that do it, but sin, nature. That dwells in me. It's no longer I, but I, my will, when it's not submitted to the life of Christ that is mine, that he made mine, in Colossians 3 and verse 4, then I, what do I do? I function in the old leaven. I, don't, I function just like the world does. All the worldly cares that the world has, apart from a proper object and a proper image which we have in Christ, we function just like that. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be and that you are a new lump, as you are unleavened. Do you see that? That is who we are in Christ. Is there any leaven? Is there any sin in Christ as he sits at the right hand of the Father? Brought out in the types in Psalm 110 verse 1 and scores of scriptures, scores of them in Hebrews 1 and verse 13, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 12 and 13. He's seated at the right hand of God. Would he be seated right next to God if there was a tad of leaven in him? He wouldn't be. As a matter of fact, the resurrection, which is in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, brought out beautifully in those starting around verse 12 and 13 to the end of that chapter in verse uh, 58. It just brings out the fact that if, if there was an ounce of leaven pertaining to you and I, sin, any sins in him, would God in Romans 8, 11, have raised him up? He couldn't have. It would have violated his own nature his own nature, character, and essence, if he did so. But he did because Christ is unleavened. And those that, re because he, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be the sin sacrifice for us. Remember, he never became sin. <laughs> he became the sin sacrifice for us, who knew no sin. He didn't know sins because he had no sin nature. We know sin because how do we know it? Through not submitting our will. And so here it is. As you are in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, you are unleavened. You are unleavened. That is your proper image. For even Christ, our Passover, okay, our Passover is slain, is sacrificed, what? For us, in Christ is God against us. When he deals with sins in those of which in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, we are not our sins that we do. But when he deals with them with us, the fact is, it, what is he? Is he against us? Even in dealing with sin with us, even in admonishing us, as we've heard recently about admonition, is he against us? No, Romans 8, 31 to 39, prove it. He's... God is for us because he's already given up his own son in 8.32 of Romans. So even Christ, our sacrifice, our Passover is slain, is sacrificed what? For us. 
Do the details and circumstances that we look at, do we use those to measure and believe that God's against us? Like the world does? No. They keep us dependent on him as he leads us right through. Just like he did. And it was, it's unfortunate when you read Numbers, the 13th chapter, when you read that, out of that first generation that was first led out of, e- of Egypt, there were two point, a minimum of 2.4 million Jews <laughs> that were led out of captivity. And do you know how many in that first generation went into the promised land and experienced in the reality of what was theirs? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Two. No wonder it says in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. They function in the reality of who they are. There am I with an intimate fellowship in their midst. That's why numbers don't do a thing with God. He's interested in the individual. That's who he's interested in. He's interested in us as individuals that he's made in his own son's image. So of course he's going to care for us Therefore, in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, therefore let us keep that feast. That feast. This is the memorial feast. This is what we would call today communion. That's become just like a ritual without any meaning whatsoever. It's that that Jesus talked about and showed beautifully, teaching himself in Matthew, the 26th chapters, especially in the 26th verse. And that's where Paul did it too, again. And brought it out beautifully in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Let us keep the feast. How? How do we keep it and enjoy it? How do we keep and enjoy everything that's ours? Not with the old leaven. Not going back. Not going back to the bad thoughts. Not going back to the lies. Not going back to sight, worry, doubt. Fear, never going back to those things. Not with old leaven. Why? Because, because when you do, it will be the leaven of malice, evil wickedness, and thoughts towards others that, that want to injure them because of the blame game. That's malice. You, you, you have ill will against someone that God has blessed, and because you're not, because you're living in the old leaven, you have hatred towards them. Boy, who wants anything to do with the flesh? With the leaven of malice and what? Wickedness. And again, what is wickedness? It's brought out in Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. Wickedness is just simply not believing God, not submitting my will to him. I will look at things the way that I look at. And of course, how limited is that? How do we view things apart from God? Circumstances, situations, and how? With old leaven, old me, there I go again, old me, is it who we are? It's not who we are. Old leaven, old unbelieving, just like I've never been taught, just like God's never given us the beautiful truth, but with the unleavened of what? Us purity and sincerity, a purity and truth. Okay, so now we go back to Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus, the 12th chapter. Verse 1, and the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. When did he speak to them? When did he speak to them? They were still in Egypt. Know that. They were still in 
Egypt. That's where they were. They were still in the world. Are we still in the world? Yes. Are we of it? In John 17, verse 16, we're in this world system, but are we passing through in 1 Peter 2, 11, as strangers and pilgrims on our way to our promised land, our, our heaven, where all the promises of God in Christ are yea and amen for us in 2 Corinthians 1, 20, yes. We're on our way. When did he speak to them? When does he speak to us? When will he not speak to us? When will he not speak to us through his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you when. I'll tell you when he won't and he can't when we don't submit our wills to him and we're living in the old leaven, the old self, the old interpreting everything apart from God. And, and then reaping what we sow in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Can we mock God? God forbid, but can we? Yeah, by unbelief, by refusal and to submit our wills by to put Christ ahead of everything. God, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap it. You sow to old leaven, you reap old leaven. What do you reap when you sow? Malice and wickedness. Whew. As a Christian, living just like the world. Well, he spoke to them right in the land of Egypt. Was there difficulty there? There's a difficulty with us. We're in the world system. That world system that Christ has nothing to do with in John 12, 31, in John 14, 30. He has nothing to do with the world, nor he who right now has usurped authority and is in control of the world system, but is he in control of the believer that's in Christ any more than he could have been in control of Christ while he walked the face of the earth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So they were in the land of Egypt. Where does he speak to us? Were all their circumstances perfect? Were they? No. But did he still speak to them? Because was their source in their circumstances and situations or even in their own sight and in their own health? Or was it in him? Was it in Christ? This month, notice what it says, this Month. Time is so very important. Time, the time that we have right now. I wish I, I can't get it through enough. God cannot get it through enough in me personally. He cannot get it enough in the, in the heads, in the minds of his people, how important the word of God is above everything. I mean everything. In an accusatory way and in a condemning way, well, would he do that when we were in Christ in Romans 8? One, no. But would he admonish us and warn us what will happen? And he does. Time. We talked about time. Well, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29, the time is short. Read, listen, husbands first and then wives. Please read 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. And then if you don't have an understanding of it, by the grace of God, by his pure grace and leading of the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm sure he will show us exactly what it is and what is meant there. But again, before you even go there, don't lose concentration. In 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, read it at a different time. Don't read it right now because you'll lose the concentration of the word. I mean, honestly, I'm speaking 
definite. I'm speaking definite things right now. I am, honestly, because God has me do that. Because I came here, I had no idea what he wanted to speak on. Because I don't even know what my need is. And I don't know what yours is, but I know that he does in both cases. So in 1 Corinthians, the 7th, read it. The time is short. That's 729. Literally what it says in the Greek is the time is shortened. We have less time now than we did yesterday. What are we to do with the time? And how, in Ephesians 5, 16, can we redeem the time? And who does the redeeming? Buying it back, the wasted years. You will see that in Joel and type, Joel chapter 2 and verse 25. The canker and the pomegranate that eats all that beautiful substance that's ours in Christ. Redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Listen, the days that we are in right now are more evil than they've ever been. Evil doesn't stop. It progresses until the full lie, the full lie of it, starting in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. The lie right there has its full effect in the, in the plan of God and what he's accomplished. Until it has its full effect, the days that we are in right now are more evil than they've ever been. And evil there, and we can see it even here in our country, Literally, it's not cacos, intrinsic evil that was found in Satan in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, and Isaiah 14, starting at verse 9 to 17. It's not intrinsic evil. It is evil, listen, it's evil in active opposition to God's divine good as manifested in Christ. Everything about this. Our country right now, predominantly is anti-Christ and anti-God. It's evil, it's poneros, poneros evil. Evil and active, unchanging evil, infectious evil in active opposition to God's divine good. That's the only other option we have when we don't submit our will and put him first, and Christ first in everything. Because in any detail, if he's not first, how's, how are we going to know it? How are we going to know where to go, when to go, how to go? We wouldn't know. This month, that's what this month's talking about. Why? Because there's going to be a time in Revelations 10 and verse 6 where time will be no more. We enter into the eternal state of fixedness in Revelations 22 and verse 11. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is not and impure and wicked, let him be that still. That will do away again with the lie of annihilationism. Okay? Because of Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever, and death is never extinction. It's just eternal separation. We are eternally separated in him with God. We will experience a loving father and a and a awesome Savior for all eternity, and that will make the sufferings of time in Romans 8, 18, not even worthy to be compared to that glory that we'll see manifested in Him as it shines out of us in a depth of fellowship that is brought out beautifully in, beautifully in Revelations 2 and verse 17. So this month will be unto you the beginning of months. We get a brand new beginning. What's that? 2 Corinthians 5.16. Listen, we're not to know any man after the flesh. Who does that start with? 
<laughs> Don't know any man after the flesh. The old leaven. God may have to deal with it, but it's not who they are. That's why it's never we wrestle against blood and flesh in Ephesians 6, 12. We don't. See why? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. In 2 Corinthians sent for the, to the pulling down of these strongholds, this evil, wrong, lying thinking from the prince and power of the air. In Ephesians 2, 2. This month will be unto you the beginning. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. We're not to know any man after the flesh, not even Christ. That's why certain songs about him, you know, when he walked the earth and he was a little baby and all that, I, I don't know him that way. He's risen and glorified, okay? Let's sing those songs. Those are the ones that I want to hear, okay? Those are the ones. And I love, I love every song that glorifies Christ. And uh, I think it's beautiful. And there are some beautiful songs that do glorify him. But we have this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Old things, listen, are passed away. Listen, old things, everything old about us is not in the process of passing away. They're already passed away. And he's bringing in the reality to us in our experience of what he's accomplished for you and I as individuals in a beautiful image in our position. All things are passed away. Look what it says. Behold, all things are what? We have a new way of looking at things. We have a new way of looking at circumstances and situations and difficulties. We have a brand new way. God's way of seeing through everything. It is the beginning of months. It is the beginning of our eternity. We have eternal life in us. 1 John 5, 11, that life is Christ himself. To know him in John 17, 2 and 3. We can know God through Christ because he's given us eternal life that we can know him with. And so because we have eternal life, is anything about us in time other than being redeemed out of it? And a great provision? It's incredible. This month will be unto you the beginning of months. It will be the first month of the year to you. We, for every single month, for every single moment of time, and life is made up, and listen, life is made up of moments that reveal who we trust. That's what it's made up of. Life is made up of moments that reveal who we trust. Time. Time. Will be the first month. The first month is that moment when you and I received Christ. That was the first month. And the Freshness and beauty of that is to continue through all those months as we learn and grow in our experience what we have in our position. That it, it will be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, In the tenth day of this month, this month, they will take to them every man a what? A lamb. In certain translations, and even in the original Hebrew, it says a kid. It's just reaching its prime. Now listen, even in the type, okay? By the time you, you were 30, that was the judicial age of the Jew, 30. When did Christ, when was he baptized? In Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17, when was he? He turned 30. He began his his three and a half, and that's how long his ministry on the earth 
public ministry was three and a half. 30 years of preparation. How important is preparation? What did he have to do in all the details of life in the carpenter's house? Get up every morning. Get up. Same job. Same thing. Got to be obedient. Here, son. Deliver the table. Here, son. Do this. Do that. Here, son. Constant obedience. Constant preparation. Why? Well, it's preparing him. 30 years of preparation to use him mightily, like we can't even come to the end of. Read the end of, of two chapters, John 20 and John 21. Read the last verses in those chapters. There's no books that could fulfill what he did. As a result of that preparation, but those three and a half years, and he was cut off in his prime. Cut off right in his prime. That's why it says a lamb, a kid, in its prime, pure, without blemish. Look what it says. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. I don't know. Is a lamb enough for the house? Is it enough? How about our houses? How about the homes that we live in as husbands and wives? Is the lamb enough or do we need something else? Do we need some thrill? Do we? <laughs> because the details in life are so overwhelming. <laughs> and if Christ isn't my focus and the forefront of my thinking in my frontal lobe, if he's not, then I need something. Is he enough? Or am I going to live just like the world? What do they do? What do they do when they can't handle things? What do we do in the flesh when we can't? There's where all those addictions and those attachments come in. And the enemy, through his subtlety, convinces us that we need this one thing because he's not enough. Yet, in Philippians 4 and verse 19, did God supply all my need? Did he? Do I need anything else? You tell me. Scriptures speak. Let the scriptures. Do we need another thing other than him? You tell me. Some kind of drug? some kind of alcohol. Do I need those things? Do I need them? Has the enemy been so subtle to convince me that I need them? Because my eyes have lost focus. They left in Revelations 2 verse 4, my first love, that first beginning that's to continue all the way through. And then you know what happens. Another authority comes in. Another authority comes in when Christ isn't my authority. And we think it's the flesh. We think it's our own thinking when it's the enemy. Can't, he cannot possess us, but he certainly, in Psalm 62 and verse 10, he certainly can obsess us. And he, can touch, he cannot touch the position in 1 John 5, 18. He cannot touch us, the position, but he can go after the experience. That's brought out in John, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse and the A part of the verse. He comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. He will give you everything material. He'll give it to you. And then when it fails, he'll condemn you. He'll accuse you in Revelations 12, verse 10. Because if he can accuse me, he first deceived me in Revelations 12, 9. I started living like the world in the old leaven. Well, speak unto the, speak unto the congregation. Speak, 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 speak truth to them. Speak truth to them, saying, it's the 10th day of this month. They will take every man a lamb. According to the house, a lamb for a house. Tenth. Tenth. What does that speak of? It speaks of judicial completion. Ten. 
How many Hebrew letters were they when they asked God, they said to God in Exodus 19 and verse 8, in Exodus 24 and verse 3, they said to God, tell us what to do and we'll do it. Did you ever say that? I don't know what to do, God. Tell me what to do. You know, it's already written here. We just have to submit. Until we submit our will, do we even know? No, but that's the first step. 10, in Exodus 23 to 17, there were 10 Hebrew words. That's what they called them, 10 Hebrew words, 10 letters that Christ fulfilled himself that they could never do, that you and I can't do. Uh, That's when they were to do. They were to take the lamb when? Every man a lamb. What day was it? The cumulative 10th day. Well, who would fulfill the law? Who can do anything without him in John 6, 63? John 15, verse 5. It'll take a lamb. Judicial completeness. And we'll get into these details in the numbers too because everything in the scriptures, even the numbers, are chock full of divine essence. Verse 4, and if the household be too little for the lamb, is it? Well, if that's what we want to reduce it to. <laughs> Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Well, if the other doesn't do it, could I? If the wife doesn't do it, should I as a husband initiate to her? If she hasn't taken it, should I initiate Christ to her without anger, without bitterness, but in pure grace? Or even the wife, if the husband doesn't, Should the wife follow the husband in disobedience? Should she? Is there a provision in 1 Peter, the third chapter? Yes. He'll bypass the head. He'll deal with the head, but only he can. Not through the wife's reaction or anger. That doesn't accomplish anything, does it? He'll bypass that and be her head that she can submit to until the husband functions back in a proper place where now there's proper order. And uh, that order, of course is based upon Christ himself in 1 Corinthians 14, 40. God does all things decently and in order. And does he do anything outside of Christ? And can we? Has he already done everything? Yes. Would he do anything outside of him after having already done everything in him? What can we do without him? Let him, his neighbor. Now you're going to reveal what you fed on. What are you giving to your neighbor? What do they see in our conduct? What do they see? Do they see us living just like them? Do we laugh at the same things they laugh at? Do we excuse? God forbid for any of us. But do we excuse sin just like they do? Because after all, we don't want to be legalistic towards them. But we will be towards God. Oh, Lord, help us. Right? Well, take it to the house according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating. What does that mean? According to his eating, does that mean, and does God deal with capacity? Yes. This is dealing with capacity. That's why we're here this morning, because God knew what our capacity could be. And when we don't function, and when our capacity is only up to a certain point, then he can lead us otherwise, because if we stay there, we can be a distraction to those that even would receive what is the equal to their capacity. And this is what it says. According to his eating, will you make your count for the lamb? He'll give you as much as you want. Read Exodus, the 16th chapter, the type that Jesus brought out. 
in, in John chapter 6, starting at, at verse 32 and 33, all the way to the 50s, where he said and taught that I was the type, the manna that came down. Listen, what was, what was the answer in Exodus, the 16th chapter, while they were in the wilderness, the world system in type, on their way to their promised land, what was the answer to all their murmurings, their complainings? And what was the answer? The manna would come down. But you've got to get up every morning. You've got to get up. Don't feel like it. I know. Thank God we're not our feelings. Thank God he doesn't treat us after them. And furthermore, our experiences and our feelings don't have anything to do with the fact of who we are in Christ other than submitting to it and functioning in proper emotions. Well, let it, let it be to his eating will make your account for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male of the first year. You will take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you will keep it up until what? Why the 14th day? I mean, why would God write that there? I mean, you know, it's just, does God do anything ambiguously? Does he? Does he do anything like that? Can, would he give us something that would cause us to be confused? Well, yeah, if we thought we could do it on our own, and if we didn't have the skill to do so. It would be very confusing, but he's not the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, but of what life, and when I function in life, what do I experience? Peace. And who is my peace? In Ephesians 2, 14, it's Christ. Fact of the matter is, 14, the 14th day of the same month, listen to this, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it in the evening. When was Christ crucified on the cross? The evening. When did he rise from the grave? You see this in Matthew, the 26th chapter, and scores of others. Matthew 28, 1 through 6, I should say. He was crucified in the evening. When did he rise? The morning. Did he rise on Saturday, the Sabbath, the last day of the week? No, he rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. Did you know Sunday is the first day of the week? Do you know that's where, when... He rose and sent down the Holy Spirit in Acts, the second chapter. The church was formed a heavenly people, totally different than God's earthly people, who still are not his people and won't be till millennial reign. But if they're a Jew, they receive Christ and become part of the body and bride of Christ, just like us. And they become a heavenly people. This is how to understand all of our scriptures. And we, by the grace of God, as much as I can. I'm scratching it with you. No wonder we need to give ourselves. 14th day. Why was the 14th day? Because that law that Christ fulfilled in Matthew 7, uh, Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he crossed every T, he dotted every I, he didn't leave a single thing undone. And then the, that's why... Again, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church says to us today in Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law. You'll hear a lot of legalistic preaching. You'll see that you're supposed to do certain things that the Jews continue to do now in their unbelief and make them a part of your Christian experience. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. 
to them that have received him as their savior. And that's what we have in him. Why is it so it was 10 days? What does that speak of? The legalism of the law, the flesh that we could never fulfill, he did. Why four? Earth's number speaks of judgment. He was killed on the 14th day. He fulfilled the law. He did that and then some for us. And then he was crucified and killed on the 14th day. This is how we interpret by the pure grace and leading of God the Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and showing them unto us. It was the 14th day you will kill it in the evening. And they will take of the blood, some in, in the years of, of, even in my young years, in the 70s and 80s, there was an attack on the blood of Christ. An all-out attack on the blood of Christ. By so-called Hebrew Greek scholars. By so-called pastors that many went after. Friends that I know and love went after them. Because the blood is not literal. I remember there was a series in those books. There were 14 books, and I think it was the fifth book when I was reading of this particular individual, when he was attacking and, and saying the blood of Christ was no different than yours or mine. I don't know, Leviticus 17, 11, and 14 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Where's the sin nature passed on in Romans 5, verse 12? It's through the blood. Was the baby's blood in the mother's womb, even today, of the mother's? Absolutely not. Neither was his when he was created in the womb, when God made his son in the womb. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, that holy one that will be in you will be called the son of the highest because it was God the Holy Spirit who formed that blood. And that's why he didn't have a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature because it is passed on, no question about it. But you will take of the blood which represents not the, the physical death of Christ that did so much in the spiritual realm too, and not that I don't disagree with part of what they did say when they eschewed the blood and said it was just the spiritual death. Well, I happen to absolutely disagree with that because he had to die physically. <laughs> no wonder it says in Genesis 2 and verse 17, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and dying, Hebrew, proper Hebrew, and dying, being separated spiritually from God, you'll die physically. So he had to die physically so we could have and, and deal with the spiritual issues so that we could have that life. Boy, I'll tell you what. I am so thankful for the proper interpretation that can only come from God the Holy Spirit. No man can take credit for what God only can do. No man. But certainly we can receive it and make it ours in the most intimate, personal way. And strike it on the two side posts on the upper door of the houses wherein they will eat it. We're to fellowship, we're to constantly fellowship and take in, take in who we are, who Christ is in us as in an individual way like no one else can because he designed each of us as an individual to have fellowship with him in the most intimate, personal way that no one else could have. And when we have that and we come together, now we have an exchange of a fellowship. Because does fellowship have to do with Christ alone? 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 bring it out clearly. You know, all else is sin and we will see that when we function outside the light of our character in 1 John 1 7. It enters into 8 and 10 but thank God there's confession in 1 9. We're confessing what we're not 
based upon who he is. With a godly sorrow that's necessary in 2 Corinthians 7.10 because we know that necessity. We'll see what even the bitter herbs were as we begin to close it out this morning. They were in, they were to do it, and they were to be in the house where the death angel would pass over. And all who wasn't in the house, all those that are not in Christ, are going to be judged. They're going to be judged, and they'll be judged by the one that they pass by. Because all judgment in John chapter 5 and verse 22 was given to the Son. And he that does not honor the Son doesn't honor the Father in 523. Just doesn't. And so we can see this then as we wrap this up this morning. The beauty of what we have in Christ and how we can look back and glean in what is ours in Christ. That's why it's so necessary. And Paul would bring up the types in 1 Corinthians through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 6 and 11. And they, say, and they will what? In the house where you will eat it. Where do you fellowship with Christ? It's in Christ. Is there any fellowship outside of him? Is there any fellowship with new leaven, the new life that we are when we function in the old? And think of how many times Christians think of and, and have been subtly taught that's what fellowship is. It has nothing to do with the old, not one single thing. I can't say that I'm functioning in the love of God for me if I don't forgive another believer. I can't say that. I'm functioning in the old. That's the old way. That's old leaven. Thank God it's not who we are. But the only place is, is we have it in the house because the blood is there. And they will eat the flesh in that night. Why? Because they were being prepared for a journey. We're to take in Christ. Because I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know where he's going to lead me, but he does. And he knows what I need to take in. And even in the night seasons, in Psalm 16, 6 and 7, and, and 8, in Psalm 127, verses 2 and 3, gives us beloved sleep. And we take in what's ours during the day to prepare us even for a restful sleep at night. And those scriptures, we brought those out. And we won't do that this morning because we're going to close in two minutes. <laughs> and they will eat the flesh in that night. Roast with fire. What does that speak of? Oh, how Christ. The holiness, the justice, the righteousness of God poured out on him in wrath because all of our sins were on him. The fire of his holiness. Fire speaks of his holiness. That's what tries what we have and what we did in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. It's the fire of his holiness. And what does fire do to gold, silver, and precious stones? It brings out the purity. What does it do to the wood, hay, and stubble? All that old leaven, the old flesh, it consumes it. And thank God for that. All of ours was consumed on him. That's what he'll show us at the Bema seat. It's not a Bema seat judgment. It's a Bema seat evaluation where he is going to show us that everything that we had in Christ is purified and everything that wasn't is is done away with. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.10, you can't mix verse 11 with it, that there's going to be fear and terror at that Bema seat. It's been, sin's been dealt with, and that's going to be the proof of it. And we're going to love it. And we are. There will be a time of godly sorrow, but without regret, even there at the Bema seat.
And so they will eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and what? What kind of bread? Unleavened bread. Was there any leaven in Christ? Nope. None. No leaven in Christ. And with what? Bitter herbs. What kind? Bitter herbs will we eat it. The bitter herbs, that's what's speaking in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. And I'll read that as we close this morning. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. That's godly sorrow. You sorrowed to a complete change of mind, complete change of behavior, a complete way of new way of seeing things and the newness that you have in Christ. For you were made sorry after what? According to God. That's what it says in the original. You were made sorry what? Not according to the world or the flesh or condemnation or guilt, but what? According to God. You were made sorry after a godly matter according to God that you might receive damage by us in what? Nothing. What would the damage be? In Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. It's not who we are. There isn't. For verse 10, for godly sorrow works what? A change of mind. A change of mind. Right? To what? Salvation. What is salvation constantly teaching us? Deliverance. Not only positionally once and for all, and done and completed in Colossians 2.10, but experiential deliverance constantly through a change of mind. 1 John 1.9, we confess. We change and get a brand new perspective constantly. Constantly. And so... And, and, and this is re repentance, a change of mind to deliverance, not to be regretted. That's the Greek word. Never to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, what? Works what? Death. Separation from God, in my experience. You see that. That's the bitter herbs that they were to eat while they feasted on the lamb. Only as I partake of him. Only as I partake of him. Him who went through Calvary. In his perfect humanity, which it was, sinless, Hebrews 4, verse 15, Luke 1, verse 35, sinless humanity, could I, can I have a just estimate of the bitterness of self? Do you hear that? But to know the bitterness of self without guilt and condemnation, we have to partake of the lamb constantly. And we do it with bitter herbs. And what is that? What are the bitter herbs here? It's repentance towards God, a complete change of mind. Must accompany that faith, that absolute dependence, that he would see the blood that night and pass over all within those sprinkled doors. Thank you so much, Lord, for this truth that we're going to stop with right here. This morning, Father, we're... And you're leading us, you're taking us as we submit our wills, you're taking us by the hand and so beautifully leading us into the beauty of these truths that we have. And nothing, oh my God, there's nothing that, there's nothing to compare this with. Nothing, everything is incomparable to Christ. It just can't be done. And Father, thank you so much for the reality of our precious Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, Father, thank you this morning and what he is in each of us as individuals. Each individual is the exact, perfect expression of the way that he designed that when we function in him.
And Father, thank you in Jesus' name so much. Amen.